Thanks to our sponsor today, Arbalest, the UK's leading business finance broker for the Arb industry. If you're looking to finance a new or used machine, get an instant finance estimate from Arbalest. Find hundreds of trusted machines at arbalest.co.uk or source a machine yourself from any dealer or private seller. Arbalest will spread the cost of ownership with competitive affordable monthly payments at a market-leading low fixed rate. Play online 24-7 at arbalest.co.uk. Arbalest is 100% impartial and 100% Arb. Welcome to episode 3 of All Things Arb, the podcast that looks at the world of arbiculture. In today's episode, I'm joined by Martin Lucas, Sales Director at GreenMac. Martin, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Good to see you again. And you. So for maybe six or seven people in the whole in the entire of the UK who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> um, well, I've been at GreenMac 13 years now uh, as Sales Director. Uh, prior to that, boom, right back, I'm, you know, a good age now, unfortunately, but I started in farming. Uh, my f- my family uh, were engineers, uh, but we lived in the countryside. And as a young lad, um, the countryside drew on me and I ended up on the farm at a young age, driving tractors and, you know, doing various things. Um, left school, went to agricultural college, loved it, uh, carried on farming until Something inside me dawned that I wasn't going to earn any money out of this job. So um, I ended up um, doing other things. And I was very fortunate, really. Um, My mother worked at a company called Turner International, which is owned by the Turner family, was owned by the Turner family that I work for now, which is owned by GreenMec Own, or the owners of GreenMec. And um, they wanted a test driver. so I was fresh off the farm. I'd spent the summer combine harvesting and I wanted a job to do. So I ended up as a test driver and then I demonstrating. And after three years of living out of a suitcase as a demonstrator, I moved on <laughs> to sell tractors and mowers and, and all sorts. Um, my last job, I was with um, Ingersoll Rand selling a product called Club Car, which is world known well around global world known around uh, the world as a the leading brand for golf cars and utility vehicles and my responsibility was a business development manager driving a new um dealer channel um uh, basically looking after all the uh, golf courses and private estates and various places that you get into um with people carriers and golf clubs and stuff like that you know so, so you've had quite a varied career to go from selling golf carts over to working to GreenMac. So when did you actually start at GreenMac? 2007. Um, so August 2007. Um, you know, it. I think you've got to have a passion to work in the outdoor in the outdoor trade. Um, you know, whether you're in agriculture or ground care uh, or agriculture, it doesn't really matter. Um, You've got to have a good understanding about how to sell stuff and how to um, get people to work with you and how to drive a, um, a team of, of either distributors or sales te- salespeople. Um, I've been quite fortunate. I, in, in a way, um, I've always worked with dealers um, and I've been very lucky to be able to build up uh, distribution channels across the UK and Ireland. And now with my new role, my role I've had for the last five years around the world, I mean, I've been busy setting up new dealers in places like Russia, in Turkey, in um, 
Athens and play, or Greece, places like that. So, um, and making sure that the company is responding to those distributors and working clearly with them. Um, so it's, that's where you, you get your kicks, seeing that business developing through the channel that you've created. Then it must be quite entertaining to go over to Turkey and then you're just driving about and all of a sudden you've seen a green mat go past and you think, hang on, that's that's a little bit unexpected. So when you first started that green mat, was your just pl- sales, distribution, or was it straight into the sales director role itself? No, straight into sales director. Um, I'd... Um... I was I was getting frustrated at Club Car. Um, to give you an idea, Club Car is a half a billion dollar turnover. So you were talking 170,000 vehicles a year globally. And it had been taken over by Ingersoll Rand, which is a very big corporation. In those days, I think it was about $7 billion turnover. Um, and you were, although you had the success and the fun of doing it, um, you know, I was moving about 2,000 vehicles a year in the UK and Ireland. Um, you beca- it became very corporate and you, you couldn't go out the door without, you know, a systems check and all this sort of rubbish. And, and I, I became bogged down with it. I was um, running a big warehouse out of Peterborough, uh, looking after uh, events like the Ryder Cup and the Open and various things going on as well as trying to drive sales and grow it um, and looking after about 13 distributors around the world, around the UK. Um, I, I ended up sort of struggling to go out the door because every time I came back out from a day, I have an hour or two in the office trying to catch up. So um, I bumped into um, Jonathan Turner at a show up in Scotland and we were talking about various things and uh, he sort of said to me, look, you know, I want somebody to come in and grab sales by the horns and sort of shake it and get a new distribution channel in. How do you fancy the challenge? And I thought about it over a few weeks and decided that, nah, why not? It. I was coming up to 50. Um, and with somebody like Ingersoll Rand, you couldn't see that you were going to be there forever in a day. Um, I knew I could do the job. Uh, regardless of the product, I knew I could do it. It's products are products at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, being five minutes down the road it also helped because my office was based in Augusta, Georgia, which was five hours behind me. So, you know, and to get hold of the people you wanted at times was impossible. So I decided to make the jump, and I've absolutely no regrets. I'm, I miss the trade. I mean, don't get me wrong. The golf industry is a delight to work with, very professional. You know, you go and see the owner of a golf course, and you sit down, and you, you bring in a revenue stream in for him, um, and he, he, he'd be absolutely delighted to see you. Um, but, you know, we've got some great guys in the arbicultural world, and it's not just the ARB market we deal with, lots of lots of facets within our market. We've got private estates and all sorts of we sold to zoos and theme parks and places like Blown Palace, you know. It's it's not just arbicultural tree surgeons we deal with, it's all sorts at the end of the day. So So I wonder if you could tell us this. What was it like your first day being at Green Mac? You've walked through the door. Was it hit the ground running or is it a case of the go? <laughs> wow, this is actually completely different from selling golf buggies to now selling wood chippers? Um, 
I think the thing that struck me, and it's funny how it's sort of turning a little bit now, um, my golf industry days, which was 12 years of block selling golf buggies, um, was typically on a three to five year rollout program and typically on finance. So it was a very nice, neat package. Um, I remember walking through our technical support um, area and there was a machine in there that would be probably in those days, 10, 12 years old. And uh, it was looking rather battered. And uh, I said to the tech guy, you know, well, what are, you, what are you doing with this? You know, and he says, all oh, customers brought it in for refurbishment. And I said, well, the refurbishment cost must be nearly as much as the machine's worth. He said, yeah, he says, but everybody keeps machines forever and they'll just do them up. They get to know them and they do them up and carry on with it. And I thought, wow, you know, that was a, a big change because I've been so used to an industry that rotated every three to five years. Uh, and I say it's changed because um, we have one or two manufacturers in our trade right now who have changed that game. And people are, when you talk about three or four year warranties, folks are saying, well, I don't want to earn it after that. You know, I want to rotate it three years. So that's great. You know, it's uh, it, for me as a businessman, it's, a, it's an opportunity to turn revenue over every three years and for the customer to keep up to date with changes in specifications and you know, various things that go on with machines. So that's where we are. It has changed because I remember when I first started, um, I hate to bring it up because it's obviously talking about Korean Mac, but my first chipper was a Timberwolf. I'll forgive um, you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it must have been, I think, to be honest, it was back in the days when they called Entex. So it was a really that's old right, machine. Yeah. And I had it for a couple of years. And then I started to see what was coming out on the market. We looked at the Korean Macs, we looked at the Vermeers. Um, forced win even a brand back then it was it was that such a long time ago and you mentioned it back then it wasn't a case of three to five years would change the kit it's only been the last couple of years where businesses are going well it's got a five three or five year warranty after that they're still holding the value i'll stick it up on the market and i'll go get a new machine on finance um as yeah, finance in the industry sorry just to break in there and capture that a little bit because you know, there was two battles. There was one where um, I'd got people wanting to keep product too long. And I'd also got a product which typically was crying out for finance options. And we had a very reluctant market that wouldn't take finance. Yeah. They, they, they typically just wanted to put cash on the table and they weren't using finance as a means of running a business. And that is so much changed now. I mean, you know, we, we daily talk to people about finance options, you know, what's best for their cash flow, how they run their business. Um, and it's, it is it's another solution that needs to be brought in as well as just the product, you know. So it's nice to see that the, 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 the industry, to a degree, has become more professional, more businesslike, and it gives them the opportunity to step up to a better product. Uh, to a better investment for them at the end of the day. So I think that's crucial. It carries on that way. So in the terms of like direct sales and finance agreements, would you have any, would you be able to talk about how many Greenmex sell via the finance route to a direct cash? Because I, I know Greenmex doesn't sell directly. It goes through all the distributors across the yeah. UK. It'll yeah. be interesting to see how much of it has changed over time. Well, if I if I we did have some financial solutions uh, when I first came on board, um, and they were 
I mean, they wouldn't have equated to more than 5% of our turnover. Um, if you just take the UK today, which is 25% yeah. of our business, um, I would say that probably 40 to 50% would be on a finance option. It's quite strong. It's, a, it's an understanding. It's not just about machinery. It's about how you get it um, yeah. you know, and making it more comfortable for everybody um, on a weekly or monthly basis accordingly. Well, you summed up perfectly. People are using the finance options to actually keep the cash flow within the business. Yeah. An average wood chipper, twenty thousand plus nowadays to get. Yeah, with the VAT, you're you're, you're a twenty thousand pound investment, which is it takes a lot of time to save up for that. And um, you know, I can understand why why folk would want to sort of keep the asset because if they're hesitant about the the flow of business through the year. And they've got to keep paying uh, each month. Well, yeah, I can understand what they're, they're hesitant about it. But, you know, when you look back and you've had two or three years experience, you know, there's always business there. You can always go and earn enough money. But one of the things that we we don't do in the UK as yet with certainly with chippers, but I did do with golf cars is seasonal payments. Now, if you take um a golf buggy typically that's financed over a 32 week deal so you you take the total cost of your yearly plan and you squeeze it into the time when you're going to take revenue from it so you you pay april to say april to october and you keep the vehicle all the year round but you you only pay within those given times when you know you've got that guaranteed revenue coming in so when you look at the overall cost through the year, it's cheaper because you're not rolling the interest across the whole year. You're squeezing all that payment down to a shorter period. So um, we're finding that um, we're finding that certainly on the golf side, that's an easy sell. Because yeah. when you squeeze costs together for a shorter period of time, your actual outlay each month goes up. Even though it's, no, it's overall in a year, it's cheaper. It monthly it goes up for those six or seven months that you choose to pay. But if people have got a very strict seasonality to their business, it's a great way of actually trying to meet their cash flow requirement. Is it, it, that is a different way of actually thinking of going about it because a lot of the work true surgeons do it is between coming like April time up until the winter season. That's where we're out doing everything, and then winter time. Most of us will either go on utilities, we'll go on commercial work, or we'll end up doing firewood. There's very little winter work that customers, domestic customers, actually want us trampling over the grass, being on site, and actually getting the work done. That's interesting. Just to go back, when you in like your early days of Greenmark, can you remember like the first big deal that you managed to achieve and how it came about? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> definitely a while ago. <laughs> Tom, they all wash into each other. Um, <laughs> I, I think the memorable, I think my memorable meeting um, in, in the early days, we had a product when I started called the Multitask, which was like a skid steer loader on steroids. It was a safe track system with a telescopic legs, but you sat in the cab, you had a flail on the front or a mulcher head, and you tilted the seat, and then you could get this thing to work on a 35-degree slope, six tonnes of metal, you know. And uh, we've, I, uh, in those days, I was still driving the lorry, you know. I'd still jump in the cab. His sales director didn't bother me. And I ended up going up to um, 
meet with Alan McLeish at QTS. Oh, yeah. And um, we were demonstrating this multitask up in Helensborough. He didn't buy one, by the way. It didn't didn't do the job for him <laughs> anyway. But beside the point, of course, he was using a competitor's machine on the chipper side. He had about four or five of them. And I remember him saying to me, because uh, we, we said, oh, you know, you, you ever tried Green Mech? And he went, no, no, not so sure about your disc blades. And I thought, okay. And um, so I, I persuaded him to try the safe track. Um, and I remember visiting him about, sort of he bought two of them if i remember right and i remember visiting him about a month or two later and i said well how are you getting on with the displays because you were hesitant about it and he went well you know i love them he said they're brilliant because they just do everything we want them to do but he said i'm more in love with your machines he says they just go everywhere i want them to go and he's ended he's running about 15 odd units now for us so it's been that's a, a nice success for us anyway and he certainly has helped us in with network rail and uh, various other people as well so it's been good because so, greenmax seem to have that really big piece of the pie when it whenever anyone goes oh we're working on the rails yeah. it's immediately just get a safe track machine you don't look at anyone else in the market it's straight down to greenmax it's simple um I think the concept um, as yet hasn't been beaten. Uh, the sure track now is taking off very, very well. Um, when we, we still make the safe track as a fixed unit and then we make the sure track as a floating track, um, I would think two out of three sales would be sure track right now. People are willing, at that price, people are willing to invest to get yeah. a safe machine, but more so to actually keep the track on and get up to the job. They don't, they, if, I remember I was talking to Yvonne Hayes. I hope she's listening to this. Thank you, Yvonne. Um, I remember a meeting with her and she said, you know, if they were £10,000 more, I'd still buy them. And we don't take abuse of that. We wouldn't do that. But it's nice to know that's the concept because we add value to what they're doing. So, So again, GreenMag offers quite a lot of the unique features, the short track being one of them. One of the ones that I never knew about until a couple of years ago was you don't have conventional chipper blades. You have the round circular discs instead. Because you've got the APF, um, Pete Bagley opened it up, and I looked at it and went, oh, actually, I've never looked in a GreenMag. Why is it completely different to everything else in the industry? Well, we... we, um in the early days, a long time before I joined, we had a big rental fleet of probably about 120-odd machines. And um, it was in the, in the early days of chippers, really, I suppose. So um, these machines were going out. And then we linked up with A-Plant, and we felt that you couldn't run with a hare and the hounds. So we, we stepped away from renting ourselves and reduced our numbers and ramped up uh, the numbers into places like a plant but what we were finding was that folk you know on the rental side weren't changing the blades as frequently as needed and the trouble is with rental as you know folk will throw any old rubbish in because they don't own the, own the machine and they they get wrecked so we were finding that folk were coming up to us at a show and saying oh i've tried green mech they're rubbish and you go we, we don't know. I mean, you know, what, who are you and when did we show you a machine? They said, oh, no, we rented one. And we go, well, and they said it just didn't perform. Well, we know why it didn't perform because the blades were dumb, blunt and they never changed them. So Tony um, came up with the idea of a disc blade, a round blade, which was more tolerant 
to the contaminants that get into the system. Um, and although the UK has been hesitant to adopt them, it's we don't get this conversation anymore now. It's just accepted we're round blades and folk like them. But in my early days, it was frustrating because everywhere in continental Europe was buying our green mech chippers because of the displays. But over here, people weren't buying green mech chippers because of the displays. <laughs> how can it be so crazy? You know, we, we were scoring big points in France and Germany and places like that. Even even people like um, Zeppelin, who got our disc blades, who will tell them, you know, you can sharpen these blades. They weren't even bothering. They were just using the three sides and throwing them away. And you go, well, they, you know, that's, that's they, but you can sharpen them. That's fine, you know. But um, now it's it's not a problem. I mean, disc blade accepted, folk like them wherever I go. Um, it's one of our unique sales features. It's great. So over the course of development with GreenMate, you've had a variation of models. Is there any models that have gone into production and you thought, oh, hang on, we've made a bit of a mistake here and you've had to bring it back and made made any like major changes to it as such? Or is there a lot more that goes into the R&D that a lot of the consumers first see? Um, I think everybody's challenge today is to get enough hours to testing on any product. Um, we do as much testing as we can, but you know, when you talk to an average tree surgeon that's only doing 250 hours a year at most on a chipper, it's still not enough. I mean, you'd have to have machines out there two, three years to really, really test them hard. So, my apologies to anybody that's had problems, but it's fact. You know, you 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 haven't got robots out there that are able to feed trees day in, day out, night in, night out to get the hours needed. Um, have we had products that we've regretted putting out there? No, I don't think so. Um, I think we've 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 had one or two recalls. Um, we've strengthened cer- certain things up, but we're the same as every manufacturer out there. You know, whether you're you're talking of you know orange ones, yellow ones, or whatever. I won't mention names because that'd be wrong. But I mean, I think everybody has had problems and gone, oh God, you know, what have we done? Um, it's how you respond to that. And how quickly you can get over that, which is the the key issue. Um, we as as commercial businesses, we are quite tolerant and forgiving, um, generally, um, far more than just the Joe public that you'd find, you know, buying a um, a gadget out of, I don't know, B and Q or whatever. They're the first people to run back and go, "God, this is broke. Let's let's get it fixed." With with our customer, you know, there is an understanding for what it does. It's it is going to break. I mean, it's it's going to wear and it might break if you keep it too long. You know, so we um, we have this dealership structure, um, which is very good, very quick to respond because it's not just GreenMec they're selling; it's their brand as well. Um, and you know, that's why we are where we are in the UK and across the world. We've got a very good uh, partnership with our distribution team. Very good. So, go looking into the future. Is there anything that you'd like to see on wood chippers, or have you had any ideas of putting different different mechanisms, um, different types of engines? Has Greenmech ever looked at going down the electric route yet? We all have. I mean, yes. I mean, um, we know, we know our competitors are looking at them. We've, we're we're not far away, um, so there'll be no surprise there at all. Um, as I go around the customers. And I think a lot of folk would sort of understand this. 
um, our biggest challenge is to get young folk or get people working in our industry. Um, and getting reliable, trained operatives is, is going to be difficult. So, for example, I've got one or two customers today. When you look at them three or four years ago, they would have had, say, three teams. Now they've got two teams, but they have more mechanism to help them do their job, like a small loader, like an Avant or, a, or, a, or something like that, um, just to help them move the heavier timber to feed it to the machine a little bit closer. And, uh, you know, I was out on a demo before Christmas and a guy got a little stand-on track loader. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, he was doing in seconds what a team yeah. of guys were going to take ages to do. And um, he bought a couple of machines off us and, you know, he was really happy with it, you know. But I can see that there's there's a demand for, and I don't say big crane-fed units. We've, they're just too big for a lot of folk, yeah. too big an investment. But I think anything that's going to help the guy without taking more bodies on, because, again, you need more training and more staff, but any mechanization that's going to help is going to be is useful. Um, have GreenMet got anything up the sleeve? No, not at the moment. I'll, I'll tell you now, we know 12 months ago we were looking at it. We had 23 products to re-engineer just for the Stage 5 implement, um, implementation. So, um, you know, we've, we've got our head in the chipper market at the moment, not into loaders or anything like that. Yeah. So with the Stage 5 regulations coming in enforced, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, can you give us a quick brief overview? Well, basically, um, the UK and most of, well, all of Europe and most of the world, in all fairness, bar some countries, have agreed to try and bring their emission levels down. And they've highlighted diesel engines uh, or certain engines as um, bigger pollutants than others. So the rules came out um, and they were actually activated in uh, January 2019 that any engine over 25 um, horsepower or 19 kilowatts would have to be after treated. Um, so you'd have lots of big filters, lots of fancy electronics and various things, very similar to what you get in your car. Um, there are two problems with that for us, uh, uh, for everybody, really. Um, we are still dominantly in our market, a sub-750 kilo market. And we still in the UK um, want a, a low-cost price to, to get a machine. Um, now, with after-treated engines, the engines that cost us X amount of money would be double that. So the cost of the engine has gone up over twice. The electronics on top of that add to that level. Um, so it's made um, it very expensive. But also all the after treatment that goes on, it makes it very heavy. So subsequently, you could say today that if you wanted an over 25 horsepower diesel unit at sub 750 kilos, it's impossible. You just can't do it. Yeah. The only way you can get there is to use uh, a two-cylinder petrol engine, which is what we all do. We are all using that Vanguard EFI engine. Very, very good. We've had great success with it. And that gives us more power at a lower cost. And it's a win-win at the end of the day, and the customer's delighted with it. So we're seeing, we're seeing those barriers about not wanting petrol and only having diesel coming away. Um, 
There are side issues, I suppose, with certain of the big contractors I come across that don't want petrol because they're insurance liabilities. Certainly, if they've got big fleets of machines, you've got you can have a lot of fuel around. So there's issues there. But generally, um, the sort of general arborist who's going out with one or possibly two machines, petrol is a great solution for him on on that smaller engine size. When you get up to the bigger engines, um, you're paying still a lot more money for a big petrol engine than you would an old fashioned three, uh, what you call a stage three A engine diesel. So it's sort of um, so we're we're uh, we're we're like uh, our competitors. We're launching. Um, uh, we've launched our um, one six five Evo last year, uh, last uh, two years ago. Sorry, um, and that is a now a petrol and a diesel with a twenty five horsepower engine. The petrol being a sub seven fifty kilo unit, and that's selling really really well. Uh, now we've launched the two hundred five, which is our sort of two hundred mil unit which is a stage five diesel engine and we've got a, a 200 petrol with a 57 horsepower unit in there Kubota v, um, petrol engine in there as well so we're, we're covering all our bases so is there any more products coming out from Greenback this year or is it the case of we've got what we need and we're going to see what the market reacts to for the next 12 months um well, with, with stage five, it brought in a requirement for more petrol options. So, you know, you, you're running yet another range of product in parallel with your diesel. So, again, if you wanted a, um, uh, a 165 petrol, we, we sell those, but you might want a track unit. So we're doing a, a 165 tracked unit coming out. Um, we've, uh, we've put a petrol engine in the quad chip. Uh, because that's got a requirement. Um, we've got the new safe track coming out shortly, which is the 205 safe track and sure track, which will replace the 1928 safe track, which you see on network rail. So, but have we got any new sizes, anything that sort of revolution? No, I don't think so. Not at the moment. We've just got too much to do uh, getting up to speed with the stage five compliancy. So over the years of Greenback making the chippers, has there been a, a real standout product that you've launched and you've you you thought great, it's going to get us sales in, and then you look back and went, that was a hell of a machine that's done everything that we want, and people are still wanting it in demand. Game changers, um, CS one hundred is by yeah. far one of our most popular products. I go to any show around the world. I can be in Australia, Fiji, Russia, wherever, and the CS will get more attention than anything else because it, 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 I think it appeals to so many people. Um, and I get stories from around the world of what people are doing with them. It's scary. Um, I've got one guy in Fiji that makes animal feed out of it. You know, he just feeds his stuff in and it chews it up and feeds it. He feeds his cattle with it. And he's a contractor that goes around farms chipping millet for cat for cattle feed. And he uses a CS100 to do that. <coughs> you know, it's just the way it is. Um, so the CS100, we, we, I remember, um, the two sales guys I got at the time didn't want it to anything to do with with these machines when we launched them. They said, no, they'll never go. They're too small. We don't want to handle those particularly. Anyway, it started to go quite well. And, and at those days, we were importing a product from our Belgium distributor uh, called Rio. And um, they were just too expensive, really. So we ended up making our own uh, with the clearance of Rio. 
we started making our own and it just took off from there um I mean, we we had some absolutely fantastic sales with the CS. Um, the other product that really was a game changer for us was the quad chip because we had uh, an issue really with the uh, equivalent Timberwolf 150. Timberwolf 150 was the, the sort of standard that everybody was going for. We were going to shows and everybody was saying, oh, I've got a Timberwolf 150, and you go, well, why did you buy one of those? Oh, well, mate, mine's got one. It's good. I use it. It's fine, you know. And they so, and we we weren't really doing very well in that sector. So we thought, well, there's no point in coming in with a standard inline product because we just dismissed as another green mech. We need something different. So we produced the quad chip, which is a turntable machine uh, with some nice, lovely features, really big, wide opening, letterbox opening on the throat, um, sub 750 kilo with a Kubota engine uh, at a very reachable price to where you wear with your um, 150 Timberwolf. And we started to score some sales on that. It really, really went well. Um, and in Germany, in places like that, it still sells very well. Um Big game changer for us at the moment is the Evo. I mean, by far, that's gone absolutely crazy for us. We've um, can't believe how well that's gone for us right now. Both petrol and diesel, it's gone really well. So, just going back to the CS one hundred, um, when I first met you and Steve Kirk, yeah, I went. Well, the first chipper I ever used was a CS one hundred. Um, back in Liverpool, there's um, one of my friends called Rob Rainford. He purchased the CS one hundred, and we we were both still in college. And we were now doing our little weekend jobs, and it was a monster of a little machine. Mm. Absolutely loved it. We we actually looked like a pair of jippos every time because we'd have a um, Toyota Hilux and IBC cage on the back, and I for Williams small trailer, and then the CS one hundred slap bang in the middle of it. We would would feed anything into it. Would get anything into it. It'd ship it. Absolutely cracking machine. And then a couple of years later, when I was working just outside of Nottingham, waiting for another company that happened to have a quad track. Didn't have a clue what it was. Seeing it, um, jumped on the back of it and was just looking at it. Because it it's not a straight-on drive and control position you've got. It, it was my first time ever experiencing a track machine. I've never had so much fun at two mile an hour. Yeah, I think we had about 50 or 60 conifer trees, topping them straight down, straight into the back of it and into the field. Absolutely brilliant machines. And then when we came to see you guys at the, I think it was the last ARB show. It's been been a while since we've attended an ARB show with COVID and everything. Um, we got access to the Evo. Um, Matt Glynn used it just for a couple of minutes, and he, he came away from smiling from it. And when you see a tree surgeon coming away smiling from a machine, you know the checkbook's coming out and it's, going, and it's delivering what they want from it. So over the next couple of years, what are you wanting to see from our industry? Is there anything that's that you feel could be a bit of a, a game changer coming up? Um, there will be uh, certainly a drive towards electric. Um, it's going to be a big challenge to get the the uh, hours that you need um, out of an electric unit. Um, typically right now, uh, people that have got electrics are sort of a couple of hours a day, and that's about it. If you plug it in, you might extend that by another hour at most. Um, so the the problem with electric is if, you know, once you're out of power, that's it. You've got to wait the eight hours to, to charge it back up. It's not like a, 
throwing an extra can of fuel in it and restarting and getting on with the job. Um, but, you know, um, we've, we've all got to strive towards getting to that electric um, solution. Um, and the technology is moving very quickly. So if you look at a five-year window, perhaps, you know, you will see some acceptable electric units out into the marketplace that will give us the the ability to do the job in a, for a day anyway. Um, what else have we got going on? Um, I, we're not really – I, I would say we're a fairly traditional market. We're not being asked for anything um, – that's that different um you know we've all um we're all exploring tracks i mean it's funny how uh, in the uk tract is far more acceptable than other places i have gone if i go to somewhere like spain we just don't sell track units in spain i'll i'll sell yeah. lots of roto but you take a track unit in there and you're wasting your time it's just too expensive and too complicated they just don't buy it but other places, yeah, we see that sort of sector growing, um, you know. So, but actual products that I don't see, I don't see a huge change in what we're offering right now. In, in all fairness, just modif- keeping up with specifications and things is the key at the moment. So, regard, <clears throat> excuse me, regardless of the seven fifty kilo limits, have any manufacturers actually looked at doing part electric and part diesel slash petrol to try and prolong the life? Yeah, yeah hybrid. hybrids. Hybrids another option. Yeah, it could be. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just an expensive bit of technology. That's the problem, yeah. you know. And uh, we could um, we could make that quite easily, but there's got to be a want to pay for it. Yeah, you know, um, and we'll always be up against that here. Um, did, did, there are only a few countries in the world that really are willing to step up and pay for specification first, and Germany being one of them. And we do really well in Germany. Um, but when you talk to our manager out there, um, she'll say well, it's it's not about price; it's it's about the, the quality and the specification of the product, and folk just accept that they're going to have to invest in it. Here it and Spain, Portugal, it's the other way around. One of the first questions is how much? <laughs> Before you make your mouth, it's how much, <laughs> and it's that can be a bit frustrating for a manufacturer at times. Can be. Well, Brent. All right, man. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. If anyone's wanting to learn more a bit about Green Mac or get in touch with yourself, how can they do that? Oh, we'll go on our website. Um, we've got a, a good website there. All the contacts are on there. Um, you get our phone number if you ask for me, Martin Lucas. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody and uh, try and help you out. We're all in the same game together, guys, and uh, I'll be, be happy to talk to anybody. Brilliant, Martin. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Take care. All the best. Cheers. Thanks to our sponsor today, Meriarb, the only first aid kit designed just for arborists. You'll find them on Instagram at Meriarb Training. I've tested 20 first aid kits over the last few years and this is the best one on the market. Designed specifically for our sector, Meriarb's got everything you need in an emergency first aid situation. From Celux to Israeli bandages, there are dressings to tourniquets, you name it, Meriarb has it. Forget trying to find the right kit, Meriarb has done all the work for you. Go to Instagram, stick in Meriarb Training. When you buy your Meriarb Trauma Kit, mention all things Arb and get a free 
Gift. Thanks to Melio for sponsoring today's podcast.